Hello, my dear guest, and welcome to Tutor Notes Podcast. As you've noticed, I'm recording this intro from an airport. It's Ataturk Airport in Istanbul while waiting for a transfer flight to Paris, the city where episode number 5 was recorded on March 15. This moment marks the launch of the new podcast format focused on issues around education and lifetime learning. It's also the first time I experimented with a live audience. We recorded the interview on stage and it was followed by a piano performance by my friend Libor. The whole thing was live streamed on Facebook and it was a great experience. My guest for the episode 5 is Robin Holmes, a teacher of English literature, theater director and the founder of Creature School. We cover his story, but also many interesting topics around schooling, creativity, virtual reality, learning communities, and self-awareness. Now, without further ado, let's dive into the show. Hi. Hi, good to see you. So, um, this is episode number five of Tutor Notes a podcast and just to give a bit of the context of what this project is I'm I, I need to go way back in time to to explain what I'm doing uh, on this stage today so I'm something that um, I'm something <laughs> I'm someone uh, that could describe uh, himself as a knowledge immigrant meaning uh, we 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 had the need to go out there in the world to seek a different education and to put our brain out there on the market in hopes to get a, a better life somewhere far from what we called home. So, uh, but at the same time, I cannot call myself with one word like accountant or economist or artist. Instead, my career was defined by many, many projects uh, for, across different industries. And I needed to jump from one to another and learn everything by myself. And I had no clue by that time uh, what means lifetime learning or uh, learning by doing or uh, project-based learning and stuff like that. And only after years when uh, love happened and uh, love is in, uh, is in the room, I moved to Paris and I discovered Cree Paris, which is a research center in the heart of Paris, uh, dealing with new ways of learning uh, through research and creativity and so on. And that's where I met Robin at the Creative Writing Club uh, back in, in, in January, February 2016. Yeah. And since then, we had many occasions to meet over a coffee or a drink and discuss his ambitions to put culture at the heart of every human activity. And we were just going to discuss all about that. And that's that's how we we came to know each other and and also discover your ambitions for what became later uh, creature school so for everyone in, in the room but also for myself can you quickly uh, brief us what is your story and what in that story led you to create uh, creature school okay um, <clears throat> it's going to be a very brief story uh, I, I work both, both as a, a, a professor uh, of uh, literature and English language and uh, as a theater director. And in my experience in uh, the field of theater, I gradually came to be more and more involved not just as a theater director, but also as a producer of uh, theater productions and gradually to, of uh, other types of artistic productions in the cinema, uh, in contemporary art, and so on. Um, and so I gradually came to realize that the reason why many people were turning to me to, for help in developing the uh, production side of our artistic projects was because there was a lack of know-how and lack of experience in uh, managing such projects. At the same time, as a professor, I was also coming to realize that the context, the academic context in which I was teaching was a very closed one. 
that functioned very well for a certain type of students, that, but at the same time there was a, a lack of openness of the way we teach uh, for many other types of uh, students or the profiles that kind of had to make their way through the system without really gleaning much from it. And the idea of Creature was therefore to <clears throat> make a kind of synthesis between the experience that and the, uh, and the knowledge I gathered from uh, working on artistic productions and uh, my will to try and offer alternative uh, learning opportunities for students and therefore focusing my efforts on, on constructing a new learning environment and learning community focused on the arts and cultural activities seemed to be a great way for me to combine all of my experiences and uh, start experimenting with things that I'm more passionate about than just academic teaching on the one hand. So what are you more passionate about? And so I'm more passionate about, about enabling people who want to enable culture and the arts. So Creature, uh, the, the, the directing line for Creature became how do we produce producers of culture? The main focus is not going to be uh, you're, an, you're an artist, a painter, for example, or you're a theater director and you want help on how to get your project on stage or how to exhibit your artwork, but rather to help someone who's a gallerist, for example, or someone who wants to produce theater plays, not be a director of plays, and provide the, the background, the, the, the training, and the network for those things to happen. Because really that's what I came to realize to be the missing link, in, in a way, in the artistic field. And, and when you say on the mission statement of Creature website that you want to put culture at the heart of every human activity, in, in a way we understand the benefit, but I, would, I just wanted to hear your why and how do you plan to do it? Uh, interesting you asked that question. Yesterday I was teaching a class uh, at a business school and I began the class by asking them, what, in your opinion, is the most superfluous or useless? And uh, they all kind of agreed that everything that is decoration, everything that is artistic, is what is superfluous in society. And then I asked them, what, at the end of your lives, will you be, will you be proud of having accomplished? And the conclusion was uncanny because basically they came to the conclusion that everything that is considered to be useless in our society today is what will make up what they consider to be fundamental in their lives. If they can, have, if they can afford to focus their time, their energy uh, and their life on artifacts and products and activities that don't have a fundamental function in society, but that are artistic and cultural, then their life will be meaningful. So we're placing culture at the heart of every human activity because actually artistic work and cultural activities are what distinguish us as human beings. We are not mere functions. We're not designing our lives and organizing our careers to make sure that we have food on the table. Of course, we, we want to make sure that we have food on our table and that we have a roof over our heads. But if, it, if that is all that we accomplish with our lives, then we have serious questions to ask ourselves as to what distinguishes us from animals, for example. I do agree, but at the same time, you have the well-known Maslow hierarchy, which says, you know, first you need to accomplish the basics and put food on the table and take care of your family, and then you go to self-realization and arts, and you put, uh, you ask yourself questions about the meaning of life and uh, what is just around the world and so on. So what is your take on that? Well, my take on that is one specificity of humans is that, for example, if you're a cattle herder, there's no more basic function than that, and you're dealing with cattle, and you're making sure that you're, great, you're, you're helping the cattle grow so that you can make food for your family. As a human, you won't be able to stop yourself wondering about the beauty of the world around you and uh, interesting pattern on that cow, you know? And not, I wonder what the function of that pattern is, but I wonder what else it looks like. And maybe when I go home, 
I'll try and reproduce that. So there is this fundamental quality of humans to want to go beyond the pure function. And with this motto of putting culture at the heart of every human activity, we're hoping to give back importance to that reflex, that fundamental human reflex, that we tend to lose the more civilized we are because we're, very, we're more and more structured, we're more and more organized, and we're looking for more and more productivity. And I hope that we can contribute to making productivity not just synonymous with efficiency, but also with taking time to stand at a distance to ponder on what we actually want to accomplish in life. Mm. It's interesting that you mentioned the, the world dealer because from all the, the projects that I know you, um, you work in, to me, it seems like you're kind of a dealer of creativity. Uh, at least what, that's what you try to do. You have all these initiatives. You have the Creative Writing Club. You have the school. So in this context, what for you is creativity? How, how do you measure it? Uh, <clears throat> creativity has received different definitions. Um, creativity is quite basically, I think, the ability to build bridges, to create or to invent a link between two things that are apparently disconnected. There's a game that I used to play with friends when we were a bit drunk. Uh, someone in the room would just give out two words, uh, coat and fireworks, for example. And someone in the room had to pick up those two words and invent a story that explicited a link between the word coat and the word fireworks. And suddenly there was all this incredible creativity that came along and other people in the room started participating in this crazy story that was unfolding itself. That's, for me, that's a, a good illustration of what creativity is about. It's about going outside the comfort zone and outside the received definition of something and trying to build a bridge towards something that seems to be unconnected. And that way you're creating new concepts. And between those new concepts, you can then create, again, new connections. It's very much like the way the brain works. You create new connections between neurons as your mind is capable of perceiving and comprehending more complex comp uh, concepts. And because of that ability, you become then able to develop more concepts, and it's exponential. So if you bear in mind that creativity is basically building a bridge between two known reference points, then you're actually uh, creating in the absolute. You're inventing. Mm. So often in this context of creativity, uh, you mentioned a, a group game, but often we identify an individual with, or we describe creativity as you have it, you are creative or not uh, as a person. Do you think we can translate this to kind of group creativity and, and what would define that? For, and, and I want to use this question before you answer to make a bridge. Um, because we are a group here and the, the, the interview is live streamed, there is a hashtag that you can use, which is uh, Tudor Notes, as in Tudor, uh, the, the British tutors, and a note as in taking notes, so Tudor Notes Live. Um, and uh, if you use the hashtag, you can ask a question on Twitter to, to get involved in this conversation. And uh, we will read afterwards some of the questions. Um, and uh, it will be fun to, to improvise and to answer those uh, during the show. So the question. Again, do you, is it creativity something that belongs to an individual? Or can we also describe a group of people or a society or a community as being creative? Well, as an expert on creativity, I will make an absolute judgment. No, of course, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> I think that oftentimes we mix creative with maverick. The creative guy is the guy who gets up late in the morning. Who or smokes. the girl. Sorry? Or the girl. Or the girl. The creative individual 
is uh, someone who smokes joints, you know, gets drunk, uh, and, and therefore is outside the frame of society. He doesn't think like us, so he's creative. Uh, there is probably a lot of truth to that, uh, but back to my definition and my attempt at defining it, I would say that we mix Maverick with creative because that person is probably going to come up with more unexpected answers to typical questions. And so I guess that as a group that can exist also, but like every group activity, I think that the challenge for creativity to blossom between a group is trust. Um, because you, you won't go outside your comfort zone if you're with a group that is intimidating or with a group that you feel might judge you. And so, yeah, I don't think there's a contradiction between group creativity or individual creativity. It's a question of confidence and also of trust. Mm. With this uh, comment, I want to skip into something that is a bit uh, controversial, um, so, so, and it's schooling. So you have a school, we talk about creativity, but we have also have the gentleman by the name Sir Ken Robinson, who says that schools kill creativity. So first, what's your comment on that? And uh, also within this question, can we educate or teach creativity? Yes, well, uh, if we go back to your first question, part of my biographical itinerary is going to a school that is called normal because of the Latin root to introduce norms. And that's, that came to be a, a true obstacle to my creativity, to have been normalized in a sense. Um, so you do have to bear in mind that in the creative process, constraints can be a great tool. And so I wouldn't create a, an absolute distinction between uh, creativity on the one hand that has to happen outside the framework of a teaching environment um, and, uh, and a school that kills creativity. Having said that, it's true that in its current form and its traditional form, school and education in the Western world can be viewed as something that definitely kills creativity for the majority of people but not for everybody. For some, it works as a trigger. You react to it and you become creative. But in a sense, you're rebelling, so that's not very pos positive. Deleuze uh, associated school to uh, the various instruments of control in a society that is beyond authoritarianism. So when, a, when you become a democratic society, you still have to maintain instruments of control, institutions of control, if you don't trust the people. So he, he mentions uh, the workplace, of course, and schools. So going through school is a way not of teaching future citizens, but of making sure that parents know where their kids are. So yes, we're far from a school mission <laughs> aiming at fostering creativity. So the question, the second part of your question clearly is, so why the hell are you building a school? Well, part of my effort being to put culture back at the heart of every human activity means also raising awareness of what school should be and putting creativity and, and arts at the heart of every human activity means in school also. The, Latin, the, the Greek root of school is free time uh, in your spare time, in your free time, hopefully that's where you can take uh, that opportunity to in, indulge in creative uh, and fundamental, therefore, activities. So our school is not a place where we want to format. It's a place where we want to empower and uh, give opportunities. School is about building a community. And if you have common values or common reference points, it's easier to trust people that you're dealing with. And so if you build trust, as I said before, it's easier to 
uh, generate uh, a creative environment, a creative community. So that's the aim of our school. It's also a aim to, as I said, a, a common set of references and, um, and values. Because in that sense, you're also, with a school, uh, making people aware of the fact that it's okay to understand norms. It's okay to be able to fit a certain mask or a certain frame, as long as, in my view, you're also able to take a standard distance from that and say, all right, you want me to fulfill those goals? Okay, I will fulfill those goals. But that's such a tiny fraction of what, as a human being, I'm capable of doing. If a school manages to transmit that, I think that it's not an environment that kills creativity. Now we dive into something that is really interesting, and I think was in the mind of a lot of my classmates at, at Cree, um, when we look at learning in general. Now you mentioned something that is very comes very close to more like a learning community than a school in a legal formal sense of it. And that community should have trust and allow people to express themselves in whichever way they want. Yet, I, I find that through discussions and research, it's, it's very difficult to, to have so much freedom when it comes to learning. So when you have standards and when you have a curriculum that you can follow, you know what to expect. So you have certain expectations, which is the, the grading uh, metrics, and you, you, you know that you can be okay or excellent student and so on. When you are given the freedom to learn whatever you want and be in a community that um, is, is used to express itself in multiple ways, it's also very easy to kind of get confused and there's frustration of what's the path, how do you organize all your learning experiences and put them together. What was your experience so far in, in the school? I agree with you, it's, it's completely unfair that until the age of 18, you've been taught that if you organize your work in such a way, you're gonna get good grades, you're gonna get social recognition, and you'll, you'll also have more spare time, uh, you'll have a better job, and so on, and suddenly you go to a school and the goalposts are moved around completely. That's the case at Cree. And uh, you can neither, you, you, you have brilliant students at Cree who can neither spell nor express themselves properly, and who cares? really, about really? those basics. In that context, no one cares about it because that's not the main goal. What we're looking at is not how you're using the tools, but what you're doing with those tools, what you're accomplishing. And uh, it, it's, that's an obstacle that you're facing whenever you're creating a different learning environment because, of, of course, you're dealing with people who've come from a certain learning environment with a certain set of rules and norms, and you're offering a different set of rules and norms. So you, you have to admit that you're going to have, you're going to be in that transition phase, and probably constantly, and you're trying to build uh, something that is going to be appealing and reach out to those people, while at the same time taking into consideration the fact that, well, they, of course they're going to be thrown and pushed out of their comfort zone, and you have to, to be caring in, in that respect. Mm -hmm. and, and with our school exper experience, we have very little experience, it's, it's a very young project, but um, we do face that. And myself, I do face that. I come from a, an academic culture where at 8 a.m. in the morning, you call out the names of the students, and those who are not there are ticked on, uh, on, on the system, and they have to justify why they were not there and so on. And we thought it's gonna be much easier with us. We'll ask them to take a, a, a selfie in, in Creature School. They'll take a selfie at five to nine. And whoever comes in late just posts a comment saying, oops, sorry, I'm late. Uh, Explaining the context of why they are late or the reason, or just, no, just just a selfie. Just so, also for insurance purposes. I mean, it's, it's a legal issue. They're they're students in our organization, and if they get run over by a bus when they were supposed to be in their lesson, it's it's important that we're aware of this. But we're kind of taking risks with that. So, just to cut it on story short, on on that tiny aspect, I found myself 
getting irritated by the fact that students come in late or students don't show up and don't tell us ahead of time that they're not showing up. It's, a, it's such a minute detail compared to the whole framework of organization. But that, what that teaches me is that when you're creating a different environment, everybody is adapting. And because our speech is open policy, we're, uh, we're tolerant and we're here because we're willing to be here, students also understand, well, I don't necessarily have to, to be there all the time or I don't have to be really spot on time and so on. So we're having to roll back on that and say, don't forget that it's also a question of respect for people who are following the lessons with you, for the professors who are showing up on time and so on. Um, but that really is an adjustment period for us on just that aspect and so many others. So we are, of course, uh, not creating a new environment in the absolute. We're constantly asking ourselves questions as to how what we're building is also influenced by what's happening around. You mentioned the norms, the, the legal aspect and so on, and, and the role of the teacher. And here is a question from Edgar on Twitter. When teaching creativity, what should be the specific role of the teacher uh, towards the uncreative learner? <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> That's what the teachers would say. Um, I'm going to be a bit harsh, perhaps, but if you have someone coming to you saying, can you teach me creativity, there's, all, there's, there's already a long way to go before you can come back and, uh, and seek for help. It's, it's, I mean, if a student comes to me and says, teach me creativity. Uh, so, so let's imagine this like is say, a real... It's like saying, I don't know, uh, air conditioning the blue carpet. No, but really, let, let, let's try to, to imagine this is a real situation and someone looks, looks online to different sources and says, okay, there are so many creative people putting content all over the internet, you know, dancing, writing, whatever project. Um, so they, they come to their teacher. So imagine you represent now dozens of teachers across this city uh, that face this challenge that let's say teenagers or even uh, younger than that are inspired by a piece online and they come to their uh, teacher and says, I want to create things. I want to be more creative. Uh, uh, that, that for me, again, I'm saying there's, there's a long journey to continue from that question because it's, creativity is also about spontaneity and not wanting to do something because someone else does it. That can be a trigger. But as long as you're doing something because someone else is doing it, you're then, then you're killing your creativity. And so my answer to that question, how, how can I become creative, would be engage in uh, random acts of kindness Get in touch with what is really worthwhile for yourself in your life. Um, do things that you really want to do. And then we can talk about those things that occurred when you were doing what you really wanted to do. But I, I really have a problem with people who believe that they're not creative. So yes, OK, making me think about that, what I would say is you, you are a creative person you perhaps need help in finding channels towards discovering what is creative about yourself. Hmm. Do you have any story where you met someone that was in the search mode and uh, you or the school or anyone else helped them to find what they're good at and find ways to express themselves? Does it, does it have to be a success? No, no, no. <laughs> any story that... Well, there's an example of a student. It's not a student. It's a, someone who's, uh, who's in our incubator, who was, is. We're not quite sure, you see. Okay. Because um, that person is an artist. And that person is seeking uh, for an avenue uh, in which they can exploit their talents creatively. And they're a very creative person. But... Uh, 
the, the issue is not about creativity. Deep down, the issue is about how that person views themselves. And uh, as long as that person hasn't come to terms with who they are in society, what they really want to fix their energy upon, there's not going to be any. Uh, there's not going to be any direction. Things happen, and and there is creativity happening there. And so, most of my efforts to help that person have been to simply have discussions in the Socratic way, asking questions and uh, and um, discussing the answers and so on. So, I, I honestly will defend the idea that I do not want to have a method to make people creative. Mm. It's a one-on-one -on -one thing sometimes, but it's especially the individual's relation to themselves. It's, sorry, it's maybe a bit harsh, but uh, it's not either you have it or you don't. It's if you think you don't have it, you're mistaken. I can say that. And if you're looking for it, you're going to have to look for it. And I will chop your head off, and you will find the way. You know, Tintin, the French cartoon. Is that in Belgian? He's, <laughs> he's quoting, yes, but he speaks French, come on. <laughs> he's quoting Lao Tzu, you know. And he says, as Lao Tzu said, I will chop your, I will chop your head off, and you will find the way. Nice. <laughs> so here we come to, to a question of scale. So right now, let's say you have what, a dozen of disciplines in your school and you have one teacher to 20 plus kids trying to take care of them and, and be there for them in terms of their knowledge journey. What you mentioned is more like for every student to have someone that they are able to go and talk about their learning experience or frustrations or questions. But that means what you're talking, kind of one-to-one -one tutoring, teaching. And that would require yes. a lot of people to have this kind of mindset, to be open, to be there for students, mm -hmm. and, and to help them to do their own discoveries. How do you uh, offer that to, I don't know, millions of students across the world? Yeah, peer-to-peer -peer is one way. Uh, you can, if, if you're teaching 10,000 people, the year after those, those 10,000 people can help 20,000 or 30,000. Uh, so I think I really believe in peer-to-peer -peer learning. For example, in our training program, some of the teachers are people who just spent the previous year in our accelerator program, incubator. And uh, they learned a lot by doing. And they learned a lot in the conversations with the creature team. And now they're in a position where they can really provide a lot of insight for people who haven't started their project yet. Mm. And the year after, they'll be in a better position to do something else. What I said to the students of, of our current generation on the first day is that hopefully after those three months, when we do the next session in the fall, uh, they can be among those who will participate in the training program. Again, building a community, building a network, building a process of trust, building common values means that it's essential to overlap generations and to make sure that generations contribute to the following ones and so on. Super cool. The next question on Twitter, actually, I was supposed to ask that at the very beginning. Um, we, we, we talked about the the principles that you use in your work, the creature as an organization, but the question is, what is creature school? Like, can you explain shortly, like, what are yes, you guys indeed. doing? Good question. The logistics for how long uh, is your training program uh -huh. and, and what your goals are? Okay, well, creature is uh, an entity that has three main activities. We provide acceleration and, uh, and train and, uh, uh, consulting for starting businesses in the field of culture. We also have a school program, and that's Creature School, and we have an agency uh, that provides consulting services for big businesses, basically, and that's where we get our money from. But uh, Creature School is a three-month, uh, a succession of three-month training programs 
every morning, so it's part-time from 9 till, till, uh, till 1 in the afternoon. 12 weeks, 240 hours of lessons with a wide range of professors. It goes from how to build a business plan to what is the purpose of philosophy. And in the meantime, you have a bit of a history of arts, you have English classes, and so on. The idea is to provide all of the basic spectrum for someone who would like to become an entrepreneur in the field of culture. And hopefully, by the end of those three months, they're in a good position to say, OK, I want to go ahead and start a business. Uh, or they can also say, wow, this is really dense, and this is really intense, and this is really not for me. So the idea is to really, with those three, that three-month program, uh, to offer an entry point in the field of culture, whoever you are, whether you have experience in the field of culture or not. So at least you know your bearings, you know what you're up against, and you know what tools are available to help you. We're going to touch a bit on the tools later. Um, now I want to expand a bit from, from your project and, and Paris to, to at least Europe. So I know that you work with a couple of other organizations in Poland, Germany, Italy, and I'm sure Belgium. a couple of other, yeah, Belgium. You should be grateful <laughs> for Belgians. Um, and and can, can you briefly describe what's happening in creative industry and, and, and culture in terms of education in, in that field? In Europe. In Europe. Uh, at least those countries that you have experience with. Okay, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I have to be very, very modest in this because I'm, I'm really, I can't stand here as an expert on what's going on in teaching in the creative industries in Europe, although I have some idea and I, I've read reports on this. That's what we want, your idea. Okay, okay. Impression. Well, as I said, uh, we created Creature because there was a gap to be filled. And uh, in terms of schooling and accompanying uh, project leaders in the field of culture, there is uh, really little available. You have business schools and you have universities, of course, and uh, you have art schools. But there are very few initiatives that provide an environment where the notion of entrepreneurship that goes together with building a project is combined with the realities of the artistic world. Oftentimes, you find yourself, therefore, uh, as a student of a business school, wanting to start a project in the field of arts. And what happens is that you'll often lack a lot of credibility, you'll lack the contacts, because the artists that you're dealing with will be hostile to begin with, especially in France, simply because you went to a business school. Mm. On the other hand, if you're an artist, and went to the Beaux-Arts and go to a bank and say, hey, I have this great idea, I want to start an art gallery, they're going to be quite amused because you went to an art school. And also, as a former art school student, if someone tells you, you know, you should perhaps get a bit of advice on how to build a business plan, they'll like, be like, no, I'm not talking about money, I'm talking about art. <laughs> and but that's, that's so. why teams exist, you team up with... Yes. Like if you're a business guy, you team up with a creative person and you form a project. Yes, but they don't hang out in the same bars. They create a bar that welcomes business people and creatives. Indeed, and it's called Creature. You have a bar? Well, <laughs> There's some drinks behind. <laughs> so uh, there are initiatives similar to ours. Uh, some of which uh, I came to know thanks to you, actually. You mentioned the nomads in, yeah. uh, in Amsterdam. And there are a couple of schools and universities in Germany, in Austria, that have developed this. But what we've done when you were mentioning our European partners is that we've started spreading and sharing this idea of building environments that combine the artistic know-how know and experience on the one hand and the possibility of getting insights from the business world because you basically have to deal with that reality also. Uh, we've started sharing that with other institutions and our partners in Poland, for example, are an arts center and an art gallery and they're both students, former students of uh, arts institutions, art schools. Um, but they're 
because of their position as gallerists and art center, they're very aware of the realities of the market and the need for an input from the business side on the one, uh, in, in a sense. Same thing for our partners in Germany and in, in Belgium and uh, in Italy, it's a bit different. They're a storytelling school, but uh, it's, it was founded by Alessandro Barico, who's uh, a writer. And the reason why he created that storytelling school is because he realized that as a writer, he's a storyteller, but he also should go out of his comfort zone as a writer writing for people who like to read books and uh, see how he can influence other fields of society and uh, put his storytelling schools, um, sorry, make those storytelling, so storytelling skills available for um, businesses, for mm. politicians, and so on. So you mentioned this kind of interdisciplinary approach. So you have, you are an expert in one thing and you try to cross-pollinate it in other industries or areas of, of life. And it's a fancy thing now. We, <laughs> we are part of an interdisciplinary research uh, center and there's a big talk now of trying to mix people of different backgrounds. There are all the hackathons, startup weekends, whatever. Um, and and it, it happens also in science, like learning for projects uh, involving people from different backgrounds. Yet, every industry has, as you said, its norms, its values, and so on. So do you think that what you are doing now in in cultural field can be applied in other disciplines like the the way you for example organize creature school can you do chemistry school on the same principles of taking a selfie and not showing up or whatever like the question is can you do you think you can apply the same rules and principles across different industries or not really oh definitely because actually many of the principles that we're trying to implement in Creature School are principles that I've gleaned from other organizations. Uh, the Cree taught me a lot in how you deal with students and how you can be much more open and uh, uh, much, more, much less intimidating as, as a learning institution. So, uh, and the Cree basically was founded by people who were specialists in life sciences, biology. So, yes, absolutely. And, um, I mean, I spent a lot of time discussing this with uh, a good friend, Griff Peterson, who co-founded Creature with me, um, and who was studying in Harvard, uh, at the Harvard Gr School of Graduate Studies. These principles were being explored by people who aimed at creating schools of very diverse, uh, in very diverse sectors with very, very different uh, goals in terms of impact. So I think if you want to look at the methodology that we're building with Creature School, it's got nothing to do with the fact that we're working with culture and it's got everything to do with the fact that we're humans trying to reflect about how we transmit things mm. outside the box. Interesting. To reflect on that, and and we have we, we reached by this time about six hundred people online, um, yeah. uh, who watched the video or saw the link or stuff like that. Hello, and there is one more question that like, comes from uh, James Carlson on uh, who wanted to be here and said hello to you. Hi, James. Um, and uh, it sounds we touched touched it uh, a bit in terms of creative types of people, but the question is. What are your ideas for encouraging and inviting people who believe they are not creative to start doing something kind of creative activity? Oh, <laughs> How shit. do you sneak up again. <laughs> on them with creative freedom so they don't black themselves? Hang on, can you repeat the, the end of it? Oh, uh, how... How do you sneak up on them with creative freedom so they don't block themselves? That's the right... <laughs> Yes, well, that's the thing, you see. I think that there's a lot of uh, intimidation going on in the creative field. Uh, it's interesting because the wording of James's question, as usual, is very maiatic. 
And uh, one of the reasons why I created Creature School was also that I was very irritated by the attitude of many people who basically know the ropes in the field of culture and be become uh, trendsetters or use their position. Influencers. Influencers. Well, use their positions to basically say, this is how it's done, this is what you need to know, you have to go through me if you want to accomplish anything. So it's really not a but horizontal. But don't you, in a way, do this? Like, you're, you're a school. Like, I, I understand you try to yeah. be impartial and, and bring all these yeah. tutors and teachers who give the tools mm -hmm. and, and allow the person to explore by themselves. But anyway, you have a bias and you say, this is the way yeah. to do a video. Yeah. This is the way to record a podcast. Well, you, you can't escape the culture you come from. That's for sure. And as I said, for example, you know, for how students, what time they, they show up and how regular they are in the lessons and so on, I can't help but feel irritated sometimes. And I'm aware that it's not the best quality in me. But what I'm trying to say is that I found I did find it gradually irritating that there is this sort of in-between-ourselves uh, environment that's quite specific to the field of culture, this intimidation that the field of culture can generate. I was talking to that, about that with one of our students who comes from a family where no one studied, no one ever went to art fairs or exhibitions and so on. And she found she was passionate about that. And the first time she dared walked in, walk into an art gallery during an opening and everybody drinking drink, uh, cocktails and so on, she was amazed that actually she could and that the drinks were free and that she could chat with people. So I'm hoping that sneaking up on people to help develop their creativity is all about offering an environment where they will suddenly realize, oh yeah, it's not that magical, it's not that impossible, there's no magic trick about this, but in this environment that is caring and where experimentation is possible, I'm discovering myself as a creative person. And then there are triggers, there are tricks. The Creative Writing Club is one of those. We organized a retreat with a good friend called Dai, uh, who also works at the Cree. And there were people who may not have perceived themselves as being creative who participated in that creative retreat, and they were being very creative. Um, so, uh, and James's question is great because it gives me an opportunity to talk about what I learned from his experience that he shared with me. He created an organization in Milwaukee called Bucket Works. And with Bucket Works, he was using very basic artistic activities, inviting anyone to come and participate in those. And people were suddenly realizing that, yeah, when they're given time and maybe a few drinks and paper and paint, they start becoming creative and in a very skilled way too. So I think that there are opportunities that you can create, but you can't force people to do that. It's the idea of creating that environment and inviting people, trying to be as uh, as as little uh, as aussi peu intimidant que possible, uh, as um, as, as unintimidating okay. as possible. Uh, be because when it comes to creativity and culture and arts, most people, I do believe, feel intimidated. Mm. To this. Um, there is another question on, on Facebook, and I will link it to a book that I really like. The book is called uh, Show Your Work by Austin Kleon, and it talks about how as a creative person or as an artist to put your work out there in the world and to become a documentarian of what you do. And this is a book that also inspired my blog, so thank you, Austin. Um, but the, the question is, when you talk about these communities of trust, allowing every student to have freedom, to have their own journey, how do you structure uh, your content at the school, but at the same time, how do you make sure that you, these learning experiences that are all over the places, how does the student keep track of what's happening 
and what on the course of three months, for example, or one year, if it's a different project, how do they track what they do and, and learn and not spread across 20 domains and, and uh, lose their identity as a expertise or whatever? Well, I don't know yet whether we manage because we'll see in, in a month and a half time. Um, but the feedback we do get from students, and I got from students at Cree also when I was teaching there, is that, it, yes, indeed, it's mind-boggling, and yes, indeed, it's hard to keep track of where we're heading. There's too much going on at the same time. Um, so what we've introduced is the tutoring. Not the tutoring, but the tutoring. Uh, so, the first one is also good. But you're welcome to become one of our tutors. Um, once a week, they meet with a professional who's a volunteer to follow one, two, or three students, max four. Uh, and the discussion with the tutor is also there to make sense of everything that is going on in the training program. And to make sense of that in relation to the perhaps the germination of a project that is starting to happen in the uh, the student's mind. It's also our work as a, as the creature team to be in constant contact with the professors, with the artists that are coming to speak about their work, to explain to them the context, to explain to them where the teaching program is going, and um, therefore how they can speak to the students knowing all the other things that are going on so as to help make sense. So we're gradually also building a common speech about this uh, training program without going all the way in, in uh, normalizing it. It's, it's, it's a constant touch and go. We're looking for our balance. Mm. You know, and uh, we discussed it the other day, the, the bigger question, the purpose of education in general, and there are two ways. First, you grow or develop some skills that you can put on the market and have a living. And the second is learning to learn. So school is supposed to be a place where you learn to learn and reinvent yourself in life as the context changes. So we are basically the generation that is shifting from having one profession or tag under your LinkedIn profile into multiple projects. So what is your experience or your advice for people who, you know, have 10 years into one domain and then suddenly says, I want to, to switch to creative industry where I, I was into music, I want to do computer science or any sh shift between two different careers. How do you start learning a new craft and, and uh, what are some of the steps? It's really tough because we're at a shifting point. And because we're at a shifting point, the environment we're in is not adapted to that. My first advice would be organize, manage your time. Set aside time every day for learning. Become a lifelong learner. And therefore, when you start having an intuition that you want your life or your career to go in that direction, you're already taking steps to go towards that. But the reality of it today is that I I'm not managing to apply that principle even to myself. I would like to be a lifelong learner, and I'm struggling to be that. But honestly, it's very difficult to be switching and shifting and continue to learn at the same time. So we're in a really tough position, and I would say sleep as much as you can or as little as you can, um, and try and structure your time but it's, it's fundamental to have at least as a goal on the horizon to be a lifelong learner. And I, my message to institutions, to governments would be, how on earth do you think we're going to continue going on as a society if we're, our first message isn't we have to have every citizen in every society constantly learning? You have to spend at least a third of your time learning. And that way that the question that you're asking is, 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 is irrelevant because you want to switch to something else while well, you've been learning about it. Mm. So in a way, you need to anticipate, you need to put time aside, you need to, you know, go about it step by step and not just one day say, say enough with this career, I'm just dropping everything and starting something new. Well, that's a personal decision. <laughs> 
but it's also a question of balance between uh, spontaneity and uh, I've got this idea, I really believe in it. Fuck it, I'm going. I'm doing it. Because there's also that aspect of uh, starting something new. It's the thrill and the the input of doing something when and going somewhere where you can't when you know going somewhere and you don't know exactly how you're going to do it. Good. Now we're going into the speculation area uh, towards the end of the show, actually. Uh, looking forward to the live music performance and some chats afterwards for people watching online. Uh, there's still an opportunity to send your questions via Twitter on Twitter Notes live so hashtag to their notes live um, and the question is so we talked about peer-to-peer -peer teaching lifetime learning multiple projects um, across your career uh, the essential role of the education system to teach you how to learn so in all this context and and you can add uh, artificial intelligence and automation of jobs and uh, rise of unemployment and whatever taxing robots uh, and yeah all that stuff trends and realities and buzzwords so in this context your personal opinion and you can be biased in that where is education going <laughs> wow. big question <laughs> I, I believe it's intimately linked with the question of lifelong learning. I think MOOCs offer a kind of a first step towards something which we might manage in 10 or 15 years' time or in five years' time. But MOOCs are clearly a step, but they're not the solution. Uh, for democratization of learning, we know, we all know that 90% of people who sign up for a MOOC then drop out. We know that people who sign up for a MOOC are mostly 30-something-year-old males, white, who already have a university degree. So we have to improve on that. And there are already great initiatives like peer-to-peer -peer learning, peer-to-peer uh, -peer universities, learning circles. And We need to improve on that. You mean access to, to knowledge and all well, this it's, content online? It's, it's, a, it's the same, same principle as you can't just throw money at a problem. You can't throw education at people on the internet. You know, uh, People should know how to manage their money. Right, well, yeah, there's a book on how to manage your money, so sorry people in Africa, but now you have to learn how to manage your money. I mean, it's, it's a bit more complicated than that. So massive open online courses, great but uh, you can't just put the massive information there and hope that something happens. Uh, I really don't agree with that. So the future of education is definitely uh, with digital, but it's bound to fail if you forget the human aspect. So we need to create communities. We definitely need to create communities. For now, we're calling them schools. Hopefully, we'll call those societies later on or we'll find a neologism for that. Um, and I'm, right now I'm thinking virtual reality is quite amazing, especially in the field of arts and culture. Imagine um, a school where you can put on your helmet and you're meeting people who are taking the same live class as you with their avatars everywhere in the room around you. And you take one of those spheres that's lying in the room, you put it over your head, and suddenly you're in a theater. And you've got a theater director explaining to you, you know, how a theater works. And then you're taking that helmet off and you're putting on another sphere and you're going into a museum and you have this live tour and so on. So it could be pretty amazing if everybody had the gear. Um, but then again, that I don't think that will ever replace human interaction, and so I definitely believe that communities are the future of education. Tolerant ones, open ones, caring ones. Cool. Continuing the, the questions on the speculation, imagine you have the power to buy absolutely every single space, advertising space on the internet or in the city, every single billboard, every single newspaper that has some advertising space, you have it. And in one morning, you have the power to publish anything you want there, a message, anything. What, 
what if I pick that newspaper or I look at that billboard, what is it saying? In what language? Whatever you want. Just oh, so I can have all languages? Uh, yeah, any language. Adapted. It, wow. No, it's right. all over the world. Like one morning, all over the world, all the advertising spaces are broadcasting one message. What do you and write on that? It has to be a short sentence? Whatever you want. Oh my God. It can be a poem, it can be a short message, it can be whatever. If you have a poem, that would be a great transition towards the live performance. You can just... Uh... Okay, oh, well, I, I have a quote that I would probably write on there, um, but uh, I don't know it by heart. Is it what a, a man should be able to do? Yeah, I guess that would be the one, you know. So, great, the internet is quick, and so we have it. <laughs> In the meantime, any questions from, from the audience? Anything? <laughs> so I would say, I would write, okay. I would change a word. I would change wall to bridge because of Trump. And I would say, a human being <laughs> should be able to change a diaper, plan an invasion, butcher a hog, con a ship, design a building, write a sonnet, balance accounts, build a wall, and not build a wall, build a bridge. Build a bridge, set a bone, comfort the dying, Take orders, give orders, cooperate, act alone, solve equations, analyze a new problem, pitch manure, program a computer, cook a tasty meal, fight efficiently, die gallantly. Specialization is for insects. And I would add, speak five languages. But that's me. Good. It's really nice. And the last question, unless there is anything else on, on the internet that we must read. Um, and you already answered on that twice. <laughs> but imagine again, someone uh, listens to this and wants to know more about uh, the roots of your inspiration uh, and, and a way to start their creative path. So what are some of the people or books or resources that you definitely recommend for people to check out? Oh, I like to prepare for that type of question. That's tough. Shakespeare, I guess, and um, and it's going to then sound a bit pedantic, uh, but Socrates and... Honestly, I... It's, it's a really tough question for me. Well, you can you can send some of the links, and I will put in yeah. the in the show if notes. And uh, with this, we transition towards the live performance, and uh, we'll have Liburn. We'll just switch the camera, so we'll film uh, also this performance live. Um, do you just want to? Because uh, Liburn is one of the stu incubated students at Creature. Do you want to <laughs> give a, a bit of the background? Liburn and I <laughs> met in Kosovo in a kitchen. And what's great about our meeting is that he was washing the dishes for a whole community of people. And I found that gesture really beautiful. And after we met a few hours later or days later, we bumped into each other. And he gave me this little jack to mini jack adapter golden and he said i'm giving you this so that when you see it you'll think of me and so cute the year after i was making a play and i found i still had that jack mini jack with me so i thought of him and as a musician i thought he's gonna he's the man to do the music for my play so i called him he was available and he did it so we became friends uh, then he moved to Paris. We were talking about Cree and about his project for uh, building Kosovo Society for Music and Technology because we like crazy projects and his project is crazy. We thought, okay, well, uh, he can be one of the guinea pigs in how we accompany projects that are beginning to emerge. And uh, so we're, we're helping... Uh, sometimes very intensely, and right now not that intensely because we're both extremely busy with, uh, with our respective projects, but uh, we're working together to, to try and make that Kosovo Society for Music and Technology exist in Pristina. 
cool. We'll have the opportunity to listen to Liburn in like one or two minutes. Um, I want to say thank you for everyone in the room and to everyone uh, watching us online. The live streaming is going to continue. The, the episode, the audio recording will stop now. And uh, you can find uh, episode number five on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Podcast, and all those platforms. And um, everyone uh, who is curious to, to um, listen to the performance of Liburn, uh, you need to find the live stream on Facebook and then uh, forward it uh, about one hour and then you will, uh, you will listen to the music. Thank you, everyone, and uh, let's enjoy the beautiful piece by uh, Liburn. Thanks. Hi there. Tudor again. First, thank you for your time and interest reaching to the end of this episode. Second, if you want to get new podcast episodes like this one, please consider subscribing on iTunes or Google Play podcast. And wait, there is more. To get behind-the-scenes stories, educational research beats, and podcast production adventures, you can join me on Patreon. This is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash to their notes thank you and have a great day